0: It's time for Glover's Golden Oldies A look back at some of the
1: Glover's heroes from recent years Good evening and welcome to Glover's Golden Oldies And tonight we've caught up with former Yovetown midfielder Sam Foley Good afternoon Sam, it's great to have you on the show Thanks for joining us um, Following up your teammates, uh, Jonathan Obika, which we did last week How's things going up there in Scotland?
2: Yeah, going, going great, thanks. Uh, yeah, obviously the current situation is a bit... Bit strange, but but uh, yeah, it's, it's going well. Thanks. Well,
1: we're going to talk about your career from sort of start to date, really. And um, you're born in 1986 in St. Albans, it says here. And and I'm relying on Wikipedia here, so people tell me Wikipedia's not the greatest. So if I get it wrong, don't uh, don't hit me, all right. Um, and you start, I mean, basically, where did you start actually playing? You know, going right back to when you were sort of, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, whatever. Uh, well, when I was eight, nine, ten, I wasn't.
2: I wasn't really playing football. No, I started. I started playing football properly for a team when I was 11. Right, so I was quite late. I was quite late, really. Yeah, um, and then I never played for an academy at all growing up. And I got to 16, I was still just playing with my mates. Played a bit of county football, but nothing to any standard. Yeah, I was playing a high, I was playing a higher standard of rugby. Right, and it was football at, at sixteen, and I, I had a bad injury playing rugby, and it stopped me from playing football with my mates. And I had a decision to make to kind of choose one or the other.
3: Hmm.
2: And we ended up writing a letter to Cheltenham Town, which was my local team where I grew up. Yeah. And uh asked ask for work experience and they made a, me and my dad made a bit of a fabrication on the on the letter to them saying that I'd represented England schools under eighteens, mm. which was a bit of a bit of a bit of a lie. Yeah. I did the trials when I was sixteen and got told I was too young. Right. So we kind of made made it up a bit. And we sent a letter <laughs> to who was actually the manager, Bobby Gould. Yeah. We didn't we didn't send it to the Academy. Right. So Bobby Gould got hold of the letter and went straight into the academy and said, oh, I want this kid in on trial. And uh, I went in there at 17 and I got called up for Republic of Ireland under 18s about three months later when I signed trainee contract. I came back from the trip to Portugal with Ireland and I'd signed a two-year scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got thrust into professional football from r- relatively nowhere, really. had No experience of being in the football environment and the academy and coaching and it was it was a new life for me, really. It was it was incredible, an incredible journey in a short space of time. So you've I was got, unfor- you got, sorry, I was unfortunate. I was I was unfortunate at the time because I had a few nasty injuries, and, and that's when I dropped out and played non-league football.
1: Yeah. So you got a bit of Irish blood in you then, obviously.
2: Yeah, I mean, my my late father Dublin, and oh. well, and, and my mum she's from the north. Yeah. So I've got got the north and the south in me. Oh right. Obviously, like yeah. my dad being quite a, uh, sporty chap himself um, was always going to follow him Yeah, if the opportunity came to play for the south
1: so you paid for the republican basically you know yeah uh, under 18s um, <clears throat> so according to wikipedia you signed up with Cheltenham in 2006 is that about right yeah
2: I think so yeah It seems a long time ago that now yeah
1: mm. <laughs> And um, you know what? What were your first impressions of of the big time, so to speak? You know, full time professional football.
2: Oh, I, I loved it. Really, it was. I went, I went into the youth team, and it was. You were still quite juvenile, really. The how how it was back then, and yeah, it was. It was you know, it was pre mobile phone, so. All right. It was there was a lot there was a lot of stuff going on in the dressing room and there was all that camaraderie and banter and but you were still you were still a kid and you still had your jobs to do and I remember smashing ice buckets just to get some water so I could clean balls before training for the first team and <laughs> I can I can remember looking over at the first team with envy that we'd be just about finishing our first session and they'd be showered in their clothes going home and we'd be going out for a second session but that was always something that kind of drove me on I, mm-hmm. I wanted to be in the first team to have that lifestyle really and I kind of I knew what I needed to do to get there I needed to work hard I worked incredibly hard to get where I was I'm not going to say that because I didn't have a team when I was 14, 15 that it didn't interest me it it did interest me and for years and years I never really got the opportunities that you know I thought I deserved and I never got a football club off the back of you know all these games I was playing, and I had scouts come and watch me, and, and I never had that chance. And when I got that chance at seventeen at Cheltenham, I was I was sure that I wasn't going to waste it, and I ended up signing a professional contract, which was incredible, really, because really? I'd only been in the football club for not even eighteen months, and they were offering me professional terms. It was was crazy.
1: Now it's time for Sam's first choice of music, and he's chosen Simple Minds' "Alive and Kicking." Uh, Apparently this was Dean Holdsworth's favourite in the dressing room
0: Go so like, Who's gonna What's gonna to make a dream survive? Got got the so storm I'm gonna save you? I- What you gonna do when your flame go gonna come and turn the tide What's it gonna do to make a dream survive?
1: minds there and alive and kicking did you find that when you were you know when you were first there before you actually signed a professional contract did you did the, the first teamers treat you uh, in a suitable manner that one tends to hear about from uh, from youngsters in football you know cleaning boots having to do this that and the other for the professionals
2: um, uh, yeah I think it, it I wouldn't say it was un, unsuitable how it was how people were but you know there were professional players there that had come through non-league being a small club themselves, Cheltenham mm. that, that were coming towards the end of their career at that time so they'd been playing during the 90s and it was a different different game back then it was a different era it was a different mentality and I can remember being sat uh, in one of the lounges after training and it's where the food used to come out and the first team captain at the time John Brough big centre-half who I think he's a builder now or a landscape gardener one or the other he came in and gave the youth team an almighty rollicking for even being in the room expecting food because the first team hadn't been in yet and told us all to politely take a hike. Obviously those were his words and I think that was the last time any of the youth team players went and sat in the lounge. So
1: you knew your place then, did you?
2: Yeah, you knew your place and it was also the coaching as well. You know, the coaches were a little bit more old school and the training wasn't as scientific as what it is now and it was dog eat dog really and yeah, it was who, who wanted it more and who, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you did a running session, they weren't looking at who the best runner was. They were looking at who was trying the hardest mm. and who was willing to give more. And that's something I picked up on straight away and that's something i would kept hold of. You know, when I say to lads now, like young boys, and they do they do a session that's going to be hard, I just turn around to them and I say, listen, it's meant to be hard. They don't want you to complete it. They want to know who they can rely on mm. and who's going to try as hard as possible, possible, because at the end of the day, they need to know what they're going to get from their players. There's no point in someone doing half a job and then it being wasted. So, you know, that's something I've always, yeah. always picked up on and kept. But
1: so, for then you you had a, a, a spell of uh, on loan at Bath City, but then you ended up at Kidderminster Harriers.
2: Yeah, it was a strange, it was a strange uh, time, time for me, really. Um, around about that time, I, I lost my father. Yeah. Um, and possibly being thrust into professional football was a bit too soon for me.
1: More music now, and on this one, uh, Sam chose this because it was played regularly on his way into the Sheffield United playoff game for Yeovil, and he thought it was kind of quite uh, appropriate. And it was called Greatest Day by Take That. <laughs> as it turned out it certainly was the greatest day and uh, of course that was take that and greatest day which Sam remembers from just before the Sheffield United playoff semi-final anyway
2: yeah so yeah so obviously like I lost my father and that was a difficult time and coming into the game so late I probably wasn't as prepared mentally and physically really my body wasn't being out know, wasn't letting me push as much as I wanted it to I was struggling with you know, some bad pains in my groins and my my hips so uh, it wasn't going to work out for me at Cheltenham I was a changing manager and he sort of let me go and he always said you know it's not anything detrimental to yourself it's you know it's just timing and that was it so, and I went I went straight into Kidderminster who their manager Mark Yates was a former Cheltenham player so there was a connection there and he took me in and I didn't I didn't feature at all for him um, there in end up going out on loan a couple of times.
1: How did you, how do you cope with that? I mean, it must be you, you've gone there full of expectation, hoping that this is going to be the, the team that you're going to start playing regularly for, and then he doesn't play you. It must be very difficult, I think, isn't it?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I've bided my time to begin with, and just, you know, I thought I'd just wait for my opportunity. Just how things were at the time, he his two midfielders were his two main players, and regardless of what I did, wasn't going to get me a game. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, going out on loan was—I loved it—and it playing football every week and having something to look forward to on a Saturday and being you know, having someone trust trust you really because they're picking you. it's always been a privilege to play no matter where I am because yeah. someone's sticking their neck out for you. So you know, I went to I went to Redditch United and as a as a club. There's not much really great about Redditch as a club. It's a small club, and it was punching way above its weight. Um, and I went in there, and I, and I loved every minute of it.
1: Yeah, oh, that's good. That's what you want, isn't it? And then you ended up at Newport on loan, and then from the loan that turned into a permanent, and you had 118 appearances there, or more than that. Yeah,
2: probably. I, well, yeah, I was quite, I was quite lucky, really, um, with with Newport. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a strange because I went on loan there, and we I think we went undefeated for the last twelve games, and then being Holsworth, who was the manager at the time, said, "Listen, like I want to offer you a two year deal, I'll put a clause for a third year, and I'm thinking like well, three years um that' be amazing to have the security of knowing that I'm going to be at a club for three years, yeah, pretty good um." So I went back to Kidderminster and I got told by Kidderminster that I wasn't going anywhere, that I was staying. Um, and I was like, well, <laughs> that's a strange one because I've not played a single game for you. So I've already spoke to Newport and they said that I can go there and I'm going there. And then Kidderminster tried to hold my registration and claim compensation because I was under the age of 24. Yeah. And which was ludicrous really because I didn't play a single game but then I think there was they, they did a deal <laughs> somehow they did a deal I think it was my last pay I just waived my last pay from Kidderminster and that was enough <laughs> of a compensation fee for me to leave in the end
1: More music now This is Elvis of course and Suspicious Mind Was presently of course and suspicious minds. So it was down to Rodney Parade and uh, quite a few goals by the look of it.
2: Well, it was Spitty Park back then. Mm. So it was, was pre Rodney Parade. Oh, day, was it? So yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ground was Spitty Park had a athletics track round it. Yeah. On my debut, I remember hurtling off the pitch onto the athletics track and uh, rebounding over an advertising hyperextending my knee. Oh. I Had to come and stretch <laughs> it off. I thought I'd, I thought I was in serious trouble, but I was all right. Couple of days later, um, but yeah, I, uh, it was great. We I was blessed really. We had a great team. We had a, well, an unbelievable team for that level, and we ended up winning the league. At a cancer in the end, mm. I think. At Christmas, we were twelve points clear, and we won the league by March before Cheltenham races. Which yeah, meant mm. I could go every day at Cheltenham. It was brilliant. that's so, <laughs> um, fair enough then. I think. We had 103 points at the end of the season, which is a record still at that level, mm. and we were clear by 27 points. And what league was that? That was Conference South. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then uh, I mean, corner this you had 32 goals. In that I presume this is just in the league. So if you added a few cups and that, you must have had even more than that, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was playing. I was playing more advanced. I was playing kind of like a. Well, like a striker, really. Mm. Um, we were a very attacking team. We had Paul Bignot, who played at right back. who went on to play. Well, he went to Blackpool and he played Plymouth in the football league. He just used to bomb on from right back with Danny Rose, who's Swindon captain in midfield. Craig Reed got a move to Stevenage for 100k up front. So it was a very attacking team, and I didn't really have much responsibility defending. It was just. Go and get yourself forward and get involved in it. Uh, back, but back then they didn't count assists. But I think I was, I would have had a pattern of assists just because Craig Reed scored 30 odd goals, and I was setting him up most weeks. Yeah, but I, I, it was, it was good to kind of, you know, score goals. And I think I got 11 goals in 10 games after Christmas, and then I fractured my ankle and missed the remainder of the season. So I wonder what would have happened if I'd have stayed fit. I never know what goals tally I might have got to.
1: No, quite. But it obviously caught the attention of Gary Johnson because he signed you.
2: Yeah. I'd actually sent... Uh, I'd ran my contract down. So <clears throat> we went up to the conference and Dean Holdsworth left. And then we had a couple of managers come in and Anthony Hudson came in who didn't really fancy me much. And then he ended up getting sacked and I got back in the team under Justin Edinburgh. And I think the first game he started me, I scored a hat trick away at Fleetwood. And I think two weeks later he made me captain, and and I played every game from there on in. And I ended up scoring I think thirteen goals I think that season and kept us up. Mm. And that was the end. Then my contract had run down by that point, and I was twenty five, so I could walk, I could go on a free. Yeah, and uh, I had a little bit of interest from teams in the football league. The main interest came from Forest Green, yeah. who were in a conference at the time. Um, but I remember sitting in Justin's car, and he offered me a contract, and he said, "Listen, go play in the football league. I'd love you to go and experience it. You, you deserve it. But if you sign for Forest Green, I will never talk to you again." Is what he said to me. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> so, well, I better not sign for Forest Green because I value our relationship. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and then I got a call that um, Gary wanted to meet me. At Yeovil,
1: yeah, because I can remember when you came to Yeovil, it was it was it was probably one of the first signings of that season that he'd even done. Because uh, you know, I remember it was during the summer break there, and I I met you fairly early on. I think taking photographs and what have you, and uh, it was it was before the sort of main influx of players started to come back. Yeah,
2: I think I think a lot of that is down to sort of when when you're a in the football league and you leave your club you, you have a severance package and you kind of wait to get closer to pre-season and yeah. I mean in my, in my summer gone I ended up going to St Mirren uh, about 10 days before the season actually started mm. so I was very late with that one but because I'd come from non-league my contract was up and I had no I had no source of income um, and then as soon as I had the opportunity to go to Yeovil in the football league at that level i there was no sort of waiting around and thinking about you know what else could happen I was, I was going to sign it i didn't didn't think twice about it once I met Gary and he you know had a good chat with him, I got on really well. He told me you know his philosophies on football and what he wants to do at the club it mm. was It was a, a no brainer I, I probably wouldn't need to meet anyone at that level I was in my career to go to a league one side regardless of, of who it was yeah I was always going to snap their hands off and that was the case really
1: well you played 88 times in the league according to this and uh, scored 7 goals but I'm sure there's a few more than that but I mean you know you were part of a very successful team at that time weren't you
2: yeah again really going back to sort of what I said about Newport being quite blessed for the team around around me we had an unbelievable unbelievable group of individuals of people that you know that yoga as a football club I think probably owes like a lot for their success to that group, and you know I, inc- I include the staff in it, mm. but you know ultimately it, w- it was the players and yeah oh, yeah, yeah. To, have, to have that bond that we still have now, you can speak to one another not spoken to for years, and you just send them a text and it's like, like you saw him yesterday.
1: yeah
2: that's yeah. something that you can't, that you can't buy, and that comes from success and you know it, it was you know, they were great people and you know very fond of, of that time.
1: More music now, and this one is Sam's daughter's favourite. It's called Shake It Off by Taylor Swift.
4: Shake, shake.
1: Swift, there and shake it off. Well, of course, there's not much point in asking what was your most memorable game for you because I'm assuming it would have been the playoff final against Brentford. Yeah, uh,
2: I'd say it's up there. Yeah,
1: mm.
2: I think as 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 memorable, I would pr- probably say the the second leg of the semi final.
1: Sheffield United. Probably, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's probably the the most memorable. I, I can obviously I can remember the, the final well. I can't remember it that well because I was so exhausted. Yeah. Remember trying? I remember trying to get up the stairs after the game. After the game at the Wembley steps, and yeah, yeah. I remember my, le- my legs were like jelly. Uh, I like ran myself into a hole. That's probably why.
1: Well, that Sheffield United game was such an emotional game, wasn't it? In the context, that, you know, we scored early on, or fairly early on, and, and then Ed Upson got the second. And you know, the, the scenes after the game was was unbelievable. Can you remember it?
2: Yeah, I can remember the car journey up to the up to the stadium in the morning. Mm. Um, because it was a, it was an early kickoff, wasn't it? It's was five o'clock kickoff.
1: I think it might have been one yeah. o'clock. Yeah, something like that. So yeah. We
2: so we we were meeting for pre-match at a hotel. I can't remember what the hotel was called. It was the other side of the oval. Yeah, and uh, it, we were meeting at nine o'clock. And I remember being in the car. And it's one of the songs that you've asked me to think of. All oh, right, yeah. Take, take take that greatest day came on. Yeah. And I think it came on on the radio. Oh, All right. A song that I've listened to anyway, and it's quite quite a decent song to yeah pump yourself to. And I just remember listening to that song, and I turned around to Samantha on this and I was like, this is this is weird. This <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, this could. This, yeah. this has got good feelings written over here. Yeah. I just remember remembered that moment, and obviously the game, the games at care itself coming from behind, and and then scoring a late winner, and then the scenes on the pitch, and just afterwards in the dressing room, and just it just was incredible, and yeah. that day itself. Well, I'll never forget that.
1: Well, I, I've had a, about three. At, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it was the, the time we beat Knott's Forest away in the uh, in the old the first time we went to the playoff finals. That was that was pretty tremendous. Then obviously there was this game, and uh, of course there was the final. I mean, three three absolutely fantastic occasions, really, weren't they? Yeah, incredible. Uh, always going to live with me, and, I'm, and I didn't even really play them for Christ's sake, you know. But it, as being part of the staff, it was just, uh, it was just another world, really. And you know, I feel so lucky that I had a, I had a job for fifteen years doing something that I absolutely loved, and it was, uh, you know, you, you don't often get that in work. In, in your, you know, most people just have a job and that's it, and it? you know, you just do it because you've got to do it because you want earn some money. But to work for a football club is something special, really.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Blessed really for things like that because they don't come up come along often. And, no, you know, no. I think it's, some lads that are in the game, that have experience, they probably don't realise you know, how lucky they are and, until years when they finish playing. They they mm. look back and yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. You had
1: a little spell on loan at Shrewsbury. Why was that?
2: Um, I just wasn't getting any playing time in the championship, um, mm. really, and you know it was disappointing because. I'd come so far from playing in non-league football to being in the championship, and I re- it was something I thought had never ever happened to me. And maybe, maybe it came a bit too soon. When I look at the player I am now at 33, I'd like to think I've, I wish I'd started playing a bit earlier. Really, because I've learned so much in my years by playing in the football league that I know I wasn't the player I am. Now that I was back then, mm. um, you know I'm, I'm much more clued up. I understand the game more, and possibly I was a bit naive and I wasn't wasn't as well developed, and I didn't quite understand the game as well as what what I do now. So you know maybe it was a bit too soon for me to play at that level, but we'll never know because I don't think I got the opportunities I got, and mm. having played a bit more, I might have improved a bit more from it. So I wasn't playing, and you know me and Gary took the, you know the opportunity Shrewsbury came in and both thought it would be good for me to get out on loan and, and play and, and then get some games under my belt and then, and then I'd come back if I needed to and, and they'd use me that way yeah. um, and I went to Shrewsbury and they were, re- they were really struggling really struggling
1: but you were you were Yeovil Town's player of the year in 2014-15 season which was uh, I can remember that well because you had a really good season so you know obviously everybody recognised that fact
2: yeah, I think that's possibly that was when I came back. So we'd obviously been relegated from the championship, and we we're back in League One. And I went back in and and played and I ended up playing in centre midfield, which I don't think Gary particularly saw me as a central midfielder. He would liked to use me on, on the left mm. um, or on the right as, as a wide player. But I'd always wanted to play play in the middle. And I played in the middle when I was at Newport, and I felt comfortable in there. I was never I was never, a, I was never a, proper winger I was I could play out there and I was smart enough to get in good areas but he I mean, put me in centre midfield in that season and maybe it was a bit of you know I'm going to show you and show everyone that I should have played last season in the championship and you know it is one of my fondest memories for me personally but it was disappointing to be relegated because everything that we kind of worked for at our football club yeah it had kind of just all gone mm-hmm. down the pan and it was it was tough to take, and it was hard. But I do look I do look back fondly at that, that season for me as an individual. But it is overall disappointment. Uh, you know, it's,
1: it it just went to highlight how how money is so important. I remember when we played Watford in the Championship um, up at Vicarage Road, and Gary was coming off the pitch with me, and he said, He said, "If if I could go out and spend half a million on on some players now, he said, we'll stay up." And he said it'd be worth it because, you know, spend half a million now and you get five million at the end of the season for staying in the championship. But they didn't do it. And of course, we, we paid the penalty, didn't we? We went down and uh, and then we went down again. <laughs> we all know the rest of the story. So it's a pity, but it just shows how much money plays a part, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it just shows how, how much Yeovil, as a football club, was punching way above his weight. Mm. Uh, and, and it was anyway when I joined the club in League One of Italy. Yeah. We, scrapped we'd scrapped at the bottom of League One for years. Yeah. Obviously we had that season where we beat Forest didn't we and then got to the final that way mm. against Blackpool. But uh, it was traditionally Yeovil would be at the bottom and it was gonna be a scrap and then Yeah you know, to get to the championship was just it was just an absolute freak. Accident, not really but I you really know, deserved it without a of a doubt that we oh, yeah. fish out of water yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and now we got Sam's final musical choices. this is easy top and a track called La Grange which was played in the Port Vale dressing room a lot I gather to drown out certain other types of music that's crept in <laughs>
2: Rumors spread around United you know, that Texas town.
0: Might check outside again. And you know what I'm talking about? Just let me know if you wanna go to that 400 mile long the range. They got a lot of nice girls. <laughs> I'm
1: Le Grand so anyway the time came to leave Yeovil then and you went to Port Vale
2: yeah um, I remember being sat at my my missus work and uh, and uh, I had a choice really between Yeovil and Port Vale and she'd already said that she was going to leave her job which was up Chesterway hmm. wherever I wanted to go she was going to leave a job she was going to come with me um, and then Port Vale came in kind of last minute after I spoke to Yeovil about staying another season, um, and Port Vale, I went and met the manager, and I realised how close it was to where she worked. Yeah, it didn't really have have a uh, it didn't re- it didn't really matter that to me. But once I met Rob Page and he said, you know, he admired me as a player and this is what he wanted to do, and you know, it was I'd never played for a, a big club before and. I saw the stadium and the facilities there and I just thought, yeah, do you know what? I think I probably do need something different and, you know, I'm grateful for what happened at Yeovil, but, you know, something different for me and a new new manager, a new person to learn off and, and just something new and I thought, why not? And, I you mean, know, I'm happy I did because I went in there and I, and I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Funny bit, I was talking to Carl Dickinson about this um, Port Vale. It always struck me as being such a depressing place. I don't know quite why. The stadium, in particular, I mean, because you sort of kind of went down that slope, didn't you, before you got to the front door, and then like go inside, and everything's black, and, and apart from the green grass, obviously. But it just just felt depressing to me. I don't know what it was. Did you notice that at all?
2: It's um, it's ironic because the season before I signed for him when I went there with Yeovil I got subbed after 25 minutes yeah. Gary thought I wasn't pulling my weight so I got hooked after 25 minutes and then we had a bit of a Barney at half time in the dressing room yeah. where he told me to get, get out and then and then we ended up having a bit um, which is quite regrettable really but you know those things happen in football yeah. uh, and then when we played Port Vale at Hewish Park, I did my hamstring after eight minutes, oh. so I couldn't have I couldn't have given that much of a good impression towards <laughs> Port Vale to sign me.
1: Yeah, but you so, ended up there yeah. anyway and played but, 70 but odd yeah. games.
2: Yeah, I ended up there and, like you said, it's a, it's a strange it's a strange ground. It's a big big old stadium. And the pitch is huge.
5: Yeah,
2: and it, teams just do not like going there. No. And even this season, their home form this season is incredible. And when I was there, it was our home form was brilliant. Mm. And if we'd pick, picked up more results on the road, we probably would have got promoted.
1: Yeah. Well, that Tom Pope, he scores a lot of goals from, doesn't he? Um, I don't know if he's still there or not. He used to anyway. But uh,
2: Yeah, he, was, he wasn't there when I was there, Popey. But yeah, mm. he's back there now and he's, he scores goals. So, yeah. Mm.
1: So then, Port Vale. That uh, finished in two thousand and seventeen, and you ended up at Northampton Town. Um, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, um, when I'd, my contract had finished at at Port Vale, and their ownership was a bit weird at the time, and I didn't really know much about the future of the club, and you know, I've, I was taught, I was really torn between staying and going to Northampton, but the fact that the late Justin Edinburgh was at Northampton and he managed me at Newport and he'd been on at me towards the end of the season like, are you going to come to Northampton? And then he was ringing me all through the summer, are you going to come? Um, I was waiting on a few other clubs possibly to go to or go to meet and see about my future that way. And it just got to a point where Justin said, listen, <laughs> I need to know what do you think. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. So... I went down there and signed a two-year deal, um, and I got injured in pre-season, which ended up with a reoccurrence of an operation I'd previously had the year before at Port Vale. Mm. So that set me back. And before I was back fit, Justin had been sacked, so it wasn't a great start for me there.
1: No, and of course it was a bit of a I you know, I don't know if it was when you were there or when it came afterwards, but there was a Yover connection because Andy Williams was there and Sam Oskin was there and uh, Dean Bowditch as well, I don't know, were they any of their, th- them there when you were there?
2: Yeah, so Sam was there when I first went in and Dean Bowditch signed at the same time as me. Right, right. Uh, Dino Dino didn't have a great time there he um, he He was out. He went out on loan in the first season Um was this all under Keith Curl or was this before? No, this was before. So after Justin got sacked, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank came in. Oh, right, yeah. And I think Jimmy kind of looked and I was 30 at the time and I thought, hold oh, on, I've got a 30-year-old midfielder who's injured. Like, what's, He's no use to me. Yeah. Um, and the club had actually invested quite a bit of money in the playing side of it. They'd had Chinese investment money. So whilst I was injured they went off buying players and finally bought Matt mm. Crooks from Rangers who don't <laughs> get me wrong I won't be surprised if he goes on and plays at a very high level himself because I really mm. rate him and he's a great kid um, Matt Grimes came in on loan who's now captain at Swansea in the championship yeah. so they strengthened the squad considerably mm. and I'm sat there thinking hold on how am I going to get in the team here I'm injured manager doesn't like me um I ended up having to tell him that you can play me out wide if you need to so that kind of got me in the team that way and he started playing me out wide and then put me in the middle a few times but I think realistically what Jimmy Ford was asking his players to do was just not realistic of what their capabilities were and what the football at that level was his coaching was probably a bit too stagnated in the fact that it was you know he was taking things too, too literate to what they actually were when you're in a game the game just flows and there were some times in training where you'd be asking him questions and he'd you he wouldn't he, he'd fall on deaf ears yeah. basically so you know and Jimmy ended up paying a price and he got sacked Dean Austin came in and Dean was unlucky really because he inherited by a team that were just used to getting beat and they were really struggling he brought in a new style of football, and the coaching level that Dean brought to the football club was unbelievable. Mm. it Was so good, so, something that may has made me want to go into coaching myself. Yeah, the, the sessions that he put on were just like brilliant.
1: So that that brings us almost round to uh, to modern times, as it were. I mean, you, you played sixty odd games at, at uh, two year spell at Northampton. Um, Obviously, you know what you've been through with Jimmy Floyd. I mean, did he, did he not bring any of the sort of Dutch flair football that uh, one sort of hears about from from Holland, or not?
2: Um, I mean, I, I've heard that the Dutch are kind of how he how he was anyway. That they were very set in their ways, and they Jim, Jimmy was just focused on being able to get his message across.
3: Mm.
2: And if he, he, he if he had an idea on something, he was getting it across, and he wouldn't sort of listen to other voices asking him questions and questioning it. There's a couple of times where I'd like ask him things, you know, if this and this happens and he would be like, no, but that won't happen. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, yeah, it could happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, our, our relationship was a bit, but it wasn't anything more than I wanted the best for the team and I wanted the best, you know, for the for the football club. And mm-hmm. you know, he was the same. Yeah. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt for one minute he wanted the best for everything, But, you know, at the end of the day, he's the manager. It's difficult sometimes when you want to try and help the situation, but you know, by saying something, it's probably not going to help it. Mm. Um, All all managers are stubborn. None none of them are going to change in their ways because they've got to where they are by having a set philosophy. And if that doesn't work, then there's no point in changing it because that's just going to give mixed messages out to people. And that's when it starts to, things start to crumble. So, um, you ended up
1: uh, moving um, up to Scotland, which was, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a culture shock, I expect, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. So, well, my contract ran out at Northampton, and I, I was ready. I was ready to leave. I, I'd had, you know, a spattering first year, and my second season there was, was much better, and I, I played a lot more football under Dean Austin and Keith Cole, but. Uh, Keith wanted to full clear out of everyone so he just got rid of everyone r- released I think about 12 players um, and then I got to the summer and I was kind of reassessing what I was going to do and you know, I was 32 at the time and I'm thinking you know what I went down to meet Stevenage manager in the summer and I, I've driven all the way back up to where I'm based in Cheshire and I looked at my clock, and I'd been the cumulative drive was eight hours there and back, and I just thought to myself, like, do I really want to go to you know Stevenage in League Two, mm. and go and play against Carlisle, which I've already done? Go to Morecambe, go to Gillingham, yeah, you know, go to these places. I've already done this. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, and now my kids are, my oldest is near school age, really, so. They're not gonna be moving with me. And I was starting to think, is it really worth it, worth carrying on? And I was thinking, I thought i look for a part time club up here that's close to the home and slowly bring my money down and look for an alternative career. Um I was getting clubs up in the northwest, which would be ideal for me, that would just almost making excuses and it was frustrating, really. I'm thinking I've played 400 senior games there can't be many people out there with my kind of cv that i'm not looking to get paid big money i'm not holding out for a payday Mm -hmm. i just want to you know get paid the same as everyone else is what people are paying Um, i'll take anything really i was i rang i rang oldham i rang the guy and i said listen like i don't know what my agent's been talking to you about or if you've been talking to all but this is my situation and the guy was like i'm really happy you rang I'll speak to the chairman and that was it never heard anything from him so I'm sat home thinking it's going to happen and my missus starts to get a bit twitchy she's like you need to get something sorted Uh, and I had a my agent rings me and says would you go to St Mirren I'm thinking St Mirren in Scotland and he's like yeah and I think about it Uh, their manager rang me Uh, I got on really well with Jim on the phone and I went down to, I got a call from Newport. This was a funny one. So I got a call from Newport, who I used to play with the assistant manager. And he asked me if I want to come down and train. Have I been training? I said, yeah, I've done a little bit, but I'll come down for a couple of days. So I've gone down and I think they thought I was kind of proper struggling and maybe they could get me, I'm a little bit older, get me on the cheap. And I turned up and he tells me, we've got a game tonight against Western Supermare. You're right to play, aren't you? I'm thinking. Well, cheers. Thanks for that. What if I get injured? But I thought, Joe, oh, I'll just play. Why not? It's been a long time since I've worn a Newport shirt, so I turned up to the fan surprise of was starting in the middle of the park with what would be a full strength team, and I think I did all right. Mm-hmm. Benny, the manager, was asking me, you know, do you want to stay on? And I was like, yeah, I'll stay on. Like keep me on. Then the next day, I've gone in, gone into train. i have had a little bit of training. And uh, Michael Flynn pulls me to the side and I've just said, look, Philly, what's going on? What's the crack? And he's like, I don't know if I can offer you anything. And I'm thinking you've brought me all the way down here for two days. I played a game and you don't think you could offer me anything. So I thought, you know what? I'll just be straight up honest with you, Michael. Uh, I've had a good offer from St. Mirren. It's a two-year deal and the money's good. The package is good. And I spoke to him and he says, I think you should go. I think he should go to St. Mirren. I know Jim is a good guy. I'll give him a ring and I'll tell him. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> the most bizarre situation. I've come all the way to Newport for so the Newport manager to tell me to sign for St. Mirren. Yeah. So it was bizarre. And the, sa- the season was starting a week later. So St. Mirren were getting quite you know itchy feet thinking, oh, is the deal going to get done? So I ended up doing it over fax. On a Friday, and then I drove up on the Sunday. I trained on the Monday, and by the next Saturday, we were playing Hibs away, and then it was Aberdeen at home. Then Rangers. So it was <laughs> baptism of fire going up there. Really, I, don't yeah. I met the lad, didn't know the lads' names in the first game.
1: No, but I mean, playing at such venues as Ibrox and Celtic Park for starters, and Petardry, and you know, I mean, that's that must be in front of big crowds as well. I think that must have reinvigorated you completely, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it, it definitely did. I, I kind of the whole point, of the decision of me going up to St Mirren to play in the Scottish Premier League was again something different, something that I could sort of learn from, you know, improve me as a as a person, possibly improve me as a player by exposing me to a different level of football that I've that I've played before. But you know, it's incredible to think that it's just it's there and I've never really thought about it before and. A play in front of fifty thousand people at Parkhead and mm. fifty-four thousand people at Ibrox, it's it's incredible. Really, it was it was there all along. And I, I, we have a conversation with my missus you know, do, do you wish you went up there a, a bit earlier? And it's kind of like, well, no, because how things were, just it was never going to happen. I'm just thankful that I've had the opportunity to go up there now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're enjoying it, obviously, and, and you've got John O'Beaker up there. You've obviously got to know now. I know he wasn't at the club. Was he at the club when you were at Yeovil? Well, he wasn't, was he? No, no, he no, wasn't, John. No, but, um, but you know, you obviously enjoyed it. Um, you know, different experience, sort of thing. So uh, it, it must life must be good.
2: Yeah, as long as football gets back after
1: this virus. Yeah. Well, of course, that's something out of everybody's I mean, control at the moment, isn't it? Really, so. We just got to hope. Yeah, I mean, we'll,
2: yeah, we'll just see what happens. Obviously, you know. yeah, and important that you know, everything gets sorted before things get back to normal.
1: Yeah, definitely. But it's you know it's it's horrible when you you hear. I, I put a thing on my Facebook page today. Why don't the government, instead of telling us every day how many people have died last night? or whatever why don't they tell us how many people have come through the whole thing and have got you know they've had it and they're back fit again that'll be far more interesting and far more you know um, morale boosting than telling us how many people have snuffed it every day
2: yeah and no, I agree bit of positive news yeah
1: yeah but there we go look Sam thanks very much for doing this mate really really appreciate it very interesting hearing uh, you know your whole of your your career sort of story in, in half an hour is uh it's it's been quite a good good career and you're still going, so that's that's gotta be good really, isn't it?
2: Uh cheers, H. Thanks for having me on. No. Um, yeah, no, listen, I, I've been loving every minute of it and I've not got any plans of finishing any time soon, so
1: Yeah. And then you did mention but, maybe maybe um um coaching in that afterwards.
2: Yeah. Um I've started doing my, my first coaching badge, my, my B licence. Mm. Um but obviously, you know, takes a lot of time and you know, it takes a lot of practice to get to get to that level. So I'm just doing it at the minute and we'll see where that takes me. I, I enjoy passing my knowledge on to the young kids. But yeah. from from a playing playing perspective, I'm, I enjoy winning a lot more. So you know, I just try and concentrate on winning and playing. But I find myself coaching a little bit whilst I'm playing the game now, which is interesting. And I'll tell you what's something as well, H, you probably don't know this, that the last game I played... Uh, against Hearts for St Mirren can you believe that I played centre half
1: yeah not really no but I expect you're, you're six foot so you would be well you know right well, frame for it that, I should that,
2: think that's some journey playing left wing for the yeah. in the championship yeah. centre half St Mirren I kept the clean sheet as well oh, but, wow. you know, I feel like I'm, I'm always learning the game and coaching whilst I'm playing
1: well it's obviously an ever evolving story isn't it and uh, who knows what's around the corner you never know do you you never know nah, yeah. good. Well thanks ever so much for joining us mate And uh, that way we should be keeping an eye on you for sure Well that was midfielder Sam Foley Who's now up at St Mirren Joining us for another session of Golden Oldies um, Please keep listening to Three Valleys Radio We've got loads more good ones coming up for you And in this time of no football We hope it'll help to at least relieve The lack of football for you Even
0: if that doesn't